and welcome to Worst Best Sellers, where we read about boring, old-timey teenagers so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Becca, aka Not Renata. And for this episode, we read Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. Joining us to discuss these timeless teenage sleuths are Anna of Bellwether Friends and Holly, Vice President of Topatico. Hi, Anna and Holly. Hi. Hi. I'm Anna, but I prefer girl detective. And I'm Holly, and my full title is actually Executive Vice President of Special Projects. Very fancy. We don't, we don't, we're not that fancy. No. No. It, look, uh, I'll come right out and tell you because no one ever gets it. It's actually um, from the TV show Angel. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and that was, uh, yeah, that was Lila Morgan's position at the big uh, evil company. Yeah. Okay, now we're in on the joke and it's funny. I, I never watched those shows, so I still don't get the joke. <laughs> like, a lot but of people okay. didn't watch the show, and there's a lot of good reasons for that, but... <laughs> It's true. It's okay. So, just as a reminder, Renata is still on vacation, holed away in her sadness cave, being sad, being bitten by all sorts of different bugs, <laughs> making her sadder. And uh, so we're cruising through the rest of our flashback summer with Becca sitting in the second chair it here. sounds like a radio show. Like, we're cruising through the rest <laughs> of our flashback <laughs> summer with Becca. <laughs> Fart noises. <laughs> So we've covered so far Animorphs, Babysitter's Club, Goosebumps, and now we are in to Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, which I'll admit right off the bat, um, I didn't read Hardy Boys as a kid. I, you know, really stuck to that gender divide. I read a bazillion Nancy Drews. Uh, My mom used to go to the library and just take like handfuls of them off the spinner and bring them home for me, especially when I was sick. And uh, I just coast through all of them, which led at one point to me reading the same one three times, because she just kept bringing it home. And I would be like, Oh, I think I already read this one. Oh, but I have nothing else to read. So what about you guys? What are your childhood experiences with Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys? Um, This is Anna. I, um, I read all of them. And I was I remember distinctly some summers where it was like one a day. I would just lie on the couch the whole day and read one or more. And then when I got up, I would feel lightheaded. So I would lie down again and read some more. But I didn't, I don't remember. I think I preferred Nancy Drew, but I read the Hardy Boys and I read Trixie Belden and I read the three investigators. And I think the only ones I didn't read were the Bobsy twins. That was the only one I did read. I was just looking them up because I hadn't considered them. I never read any Hardy Boys books. Again, I was like Kate, and there was a very strict gender dichotomy here, and those were for boys. <laughs> My brother had them. I didn't read them. But I also didn't really care about Nancy Drew, and the only time I ever encountered any of them was... my They were my mother's books. We literally went into my grandmother's attic and got some of her books down that were up there. And it was a couple, Nancy Drew... And there was a bunch of Bobsy Twins, and I remember reading the Bobsy Twins. I don't know why those appealed to me more. They were literally the 1960s version, so chock full of racism and <laughs> all that fun stuff. But I, I definitely read Elaine. When I say I read them, I read maybe f- three or four, and I read a Nancy Drew. But yeah, these I, I didn't care about mysteries. <laughs> I want mysteries. I like mysteries that are on TV because I'm not sitting there trying to figure it out. 
and it was because I'm such a slow reader, I'm like, it takes too long for me to find out the answer, for you to tell me the answer in a book. Whereas in a TV show or a movie, you'll get there in a timely fashion. Yeah, I um, I also had the whole gender divide thing, but I did try reading a couple of Hardy Boys, and I just didn't like them for some reason. Like, I just didn't care for them, which is funny because reading these two books, I actually liked the Hardy Boys one better. But I I was still um, crazy into mystery books, and so I read the Nancy Drew books as just kind of part of that, and plus there were so many of them that I could, and you're right, like literally just take a chunk of books off the shelf and, you know, get four at a time. And I was always such a um, voracious reader and like a fast reader. So I would just tear through these books. And also like, I love series, you know, like I, I, I wanted to be a completist. And then I got to the point where I was like, you know, 13 years old and kind of being like, oh, these are kind of corny. And then I still have 200 more to go. So I sort of gave up after a while. But like, <laughs> but like the, but I read, I mean, God, I must have read 75 of them at least, at least. I do remember, um, I guess it was the early 90s, late 80s, maybe when they were doing those like team up ones where it was Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys together. Oh, yeah. And I really liked those because then I could have like all the people that I liked working together to solve things. I don't think the mysteries were any better, but it was like when your superheroes that you like team up. It's like when Steve Urkel visited all of Family Mad, all the different TGI Friday shows. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. <laughs> what Television's a, my touchstone, I'm sorry. <laughs> what a strange time in our national history that was. <laughs> I, um, I read a couple of the team-up books. Um, I think by the time... I realized that they were a thing because they weren't shelved with the other Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys. They were shoved in the teen section. So by the time I realized that they were there, I was pretty much over the Nancy Drew thing. So I never bothered. Uh, Interestingly, a girl that Renata and I used to know was really into both Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys and wrote like a ton of Nancy Drew Hardy Boys crossover fan fiction, (laughs) which... This is Which not surprising. Which begs the immediate question, did they all bone down? I, I don't, I'm trying to remember. I've been, Renata brought it up last night from her sadness cave that she called from. She definitely isn't anywhere local. And uh, I've been trying ever since to remember because we did definitely look it up. But I I don't know because, you know, Nancy Drew's got that, that longtime boyfriend who really doesn't do anything ever. But... Yeah. Like, why are you going to write crossover fan fiction if they're not going to have a threesome? I mean, like, right, right. I, you know, I, I can't, I can't imagine writing it for any other reason. But <laughs> I can't put myself in this girl's shoes. Maybe she was genuinely interested in the mystery solving. <laughs> we'll have to look those up. They have to be somewhere, right? I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll be able to find the mystery them. of which Hardy is still a virgin. <laughs> it's Joe. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, you're probably right. It's Joe. <laughs> How can you tell? They're the same. <laughs> no, one has brown hair and one has blonde oh, hair. <laughs> They're way different. Super different. <laughs> I I also read. I read a lot of Boxcar Children. Like I was even oh, more yeah. into Boxcar Children than Nancy Drew. 
but I was mad because the boxcar children were shorter and the mysteries were easier. But I liked the characters. I liked the idea of like, which is going to shock, uh, especially Becca, but many people listening. I liked the idea of like the kids coming together and being a family and, you know, meeting this long lost grandfather and like really like digging down in their togetherness, which is not <laughs> like me at all. And uh, I read a ton of those. I read all the original ones, including the first one, which isn't a mystery. And just really seems like it's setting up a totally different series. And then, like, gosh, dozens and dozens of the modern ones. Who? <laughs> but any, basically any mysteries, I was excited to read them and try and solve them. And I liked the kind of artificial suspense, although not so artificial in these. No, these were legit. Like, People we were really in danger. Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> Because we were talking in the Goosebumps episode about how every chapter ends on a cliffhanger and 90% of them are fake, where it's like, and then the monster came at him, end of chapter, new chapter, but it turned out it was just a guy in a big coat. But this was like, <laughs> and then he fell down the elevator shaft, and then no, he was and really- And he died. He was dead. <laughs> and then they had two mysteries. <laughs> You're writing fanfic again. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, if no one else has anything in particular to say about Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys as a phenomenon. I just had to say that um, I went upstairs to review my holdings, and I have about, <laughs> I have about 30 or 40 upstairs, and some of them are, the, are this era that we read, like the 90, 90s, 100s, and more, and then some of them are from the 30s, and some of them are from the 50s and 60s, and when they switched from being super racist and long and descriptive to like written just by committee. focused on the plot, uh, written, they were always written like sort of by committee. You know, Carolyn Keene does not exist, sadly. But um, I was reading online, and, and various people about the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew complain complained about the rewrites because they felt like they'd really lost something. <laughs> Those people are voting for Trump. <laughs> I, I think so. Are they still, here's my question as a non-in-the-book-world-really person, are they still making these? Are they Have they ended? I know. I think so. Wait, I, I actually read the Nancy Drew Wikipedia, which is written by somebody who was wicked into Nancy Drew. Like, let me tell you, in an academic way. Um, <laughs> And I think that they're done. Nancy Drew on... There was, uh, Nancy Drew the Hardy Boys Super Mystery went to 2012. Oh, that's pretty recent. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what, like, right. one of the most recent ones kind of reads like. Because even, like, the Hardy yeah. Boys one we read was from 1991, I think. Right. And that felt, like, really dated. Just because they were talking... We'll, we'll get into it shortly. But, like, talking about, you know... A movie piracy, and no one's gonna have the equipment VHS. to make copies of, of VHS movies and things like that, and I'm just so curious to see what these are like, because so frequently when we read these old books, our solution is, this would last two seconds if they had cell phones. <laughs> and I'm right. just curious to see how that gets incorporated into these books. Well, I know, I was gonna say, like, 2012 doesn't surprise me, because when I was working at the bookstore, which was from 2007 to 2010, 
there were still some coming out. There were a lot of the younger ones. Nancy Drew and the Clue Crew was still coming out. And the yep. Nancy Drew Diaries, I think, were also still going Yeah, so out. they're still going. I'm on the Wikipedia page, and yeah. there's, 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 they have them through 2017 listed here, so. Yeah. And there were a couple, there was a new, I think the, the new title was Nancy Drew Girl Detective, and it was a new series, and I think the first one was about, like, cybercrime or something, yes. so they were <laughs> yeah. definitely on the cutting edge, but, and they, they started doing uh, graphic novels, too, around that time, I think. And those yep. were really good, and I, but I, they didn't do very many of them, they only did a few, because I remember that was when my kids were about the right age for it, they were, I think they were, like, 9 and 11 or something like that, and I, of course, was like comics and I brought them home and they were like yeah these are fine I guess and then like <laughs> they did and then they just stopped making them so there was there was only a few graphic novels which I thought were much better than a lot of the later Nancy Drew stuff I'll see if I can track those down I know that was at the time where like the babysitters club comics were doing so well and smile right. had just come out so they were like let's take all the properties and all the old properties mm-hmm. and we're going to turn them into graphic novels and a lot of them just kind of languished on our shelves but i never actually took a look at the nancy drew or hardy boys ones interesting yeah can maybe I, maybe i'll read them to my child can i i if you can edit this out if you want but can i just read you guys one sentence from the wikipedia Yes. It struck me as so funny. So it's like they're talking about how in 2013 to the present and, you know, they canceled the Girl Detective series. And it says, the Diary series was brought to be the next series. Though Nancy's age is not given, she has a boyfriend in college and drives with a non-restrictive license. (laughs) (laughs) She is 13. (laughs) Nancy Drew just smoking out the window of her car. No fucks. They're like, we really updated these. She's a rebel now. George is has actually a, a lesbian, not just coded as one. <laughs> um, one of the graphic it. novels has, they seem to have each two stories, and one of the stories from this 2015 one is called Global Warming. So. Yes, some real shit. <laughs> <laughs> How does I'm she solve a, the mystery of global warming? <laughs> Why didn't we read this one? <laughs> All right, well, do we want to get into the actual one that we did read? Yes, yes, let's talk about The Ghost of Craven Cove, which uh, about halfway through I realized I had read as a child. I couldn't remember when I picked it out, but I did, in fact, read this one. Um, So our intrepid heroes, Nancy and her best friends, Bess and George, have been invited by their elementary school teacher to visit her and her family in this seaside town in Maine. Uh, Totally normal. (laughs) Totally (laughs) out of the blue, haven't talked to her since third grade. She just calls them up and invites them to visit with obviously no ulterior motive. (laughs) Going to Maine, great. They are at least, like, I feel like a little more reassured by, like, everything that happens in this book just because they are 18, I think, or 18, 17. Somebody who, whoever's driving is specifically mentioned as being 18 because I thought it was funny because then they, they had the rental car and, yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, all right, at least it's not like, hey, let me invite these 14-year-old kids unsupervised. I have a real problem with the unsupervision in these books as we've noticed as we carry on the summer. <laughs> um... <laughs> 
So they get there and are, you know, hanging out with their third grade teacher. And they're like, gee, it's so nice of you to invite us here with no ulterior motive. And she goes, (laughs) actually, (laughs) Uh, it turns out that her brother, who she had moved home to be near or something, um, has recently, tragically, mysteriously died in a boating accident. And his teenage daughter uh, is freaking out because she swears she's seen him in this little cove where they used to have father-daughter bonding time, I guess, when he was alive. And she, when she heard about how, you know, oh, my aunt's old student is a detective now, she insisted that her aunt call Nancy and have them come to solve the mystery of her dead father. She's a teen detective. Let's get her. The real detectives don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just, that's not the first step I take, but Okay. So, uh, the teacher slash aunt is very skeptical that the dad is still alive. Nancy's still pretty skeptical, too, but she doesn't want to come right out and say that, so she promises that they'll investigate at the very least. And the next day, they start actually investigating, or maybe later that day, they, uh, the girl, Laura, takes them on a tour of the town, and among other things, she's they're introduced to Sam Beaumont, right? Who is called Uncle Sam by Laura. He was her father's best friend. They went to high school together. And he's, like, gruff and mean, and he's a lobsterman. And when the girls kind of casually mention that maybe they're sort of interested in what happened to Laura's father. He gets very gruff and very, like, he threatens Nancy straight out. Like, if if you keep investigating, something might happen to you. I just, like, you keep making, like, a hand motion like he's wielding a lobster at them. (laughs) Which he kind of did. He did open it up and was like, go ahead, Bess, reach in there, pick out a lobster. He was like, um, cook that shit? (laughs) So, what else happened in this book? They, Nancy they decided... Because then after they were at the... They saw Sam, then they went to the actual cove. Yes, they, they went to the cove where he... The father had been on his boat the night that he disappeared slash died. Uh, it was late, and there was a storm, and he really shouldn't have been out, but he was out anyway. And all they ever found was debris from the boat. They didn't find the actual boat, and they didn't find his body. So as they're kind of walking around and investigating the cove. But but not go not going in the mysterious cave. Not no. going they're in like, the mysterious cave. Oh, there's cave. a cave over there, but it probably doesn't have anything to do with anything. So it's not far no. enough into the book yet. <laughs> <laughs> we have page numbers we need to hit. <laughs> Clue three comes on page forty-seven. <laughs> Nancy and Laura are kind of looking around, and Laura shouts. And Nancy is startled and runs over to see what's wrong. And Laura said, my father was in that cave. Like, I saw him. I know it was him. Didn't you see him? And Nancy's like, I really wasn't paying attention. I was kind of far away. I wasn't looking around. I'm just a detective. (laughs) (laughs) Like, shit, look at the cave. (laughs) Uh, So they all head back into a diner. And Laura is now more convinced than ever that her father's alive. Nancy really just was not, was daydreaming, I guess, and not, totally didn't notice what was going on. Bess and George were miles away. When they head into the diner to get some food and and warm up after getting caught in the rain, they meet this 
nosy reporter who has already <laughs> been trying to get a story out of Laura because she's sure that Laura's father has been smuggling and that he died because of smuggling reasons and that he's a bad person <laughs> and she's going to publish a tell-all article about his smuggling. Just in pictured, in like, my head, I kept thinking of her as Rita Skeeter. I'm, yes. I'm, oh my god, me too. Me too. <laughs> of course, it's a type. <laughs> he just he died because of smuggler's reasons. I just picture like the, the medical examiner's <laughs> report, like cause of death, smuggler's reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would expect in Maine. <laughs> Maine, yeah, lobster death and smuggler's yep, reasons. That's exactly. basically it. That's it. That's the only reasons. Oh wait, moose. Don't forget moose. <laughs> I've only been to Maine. Actually, I used to date a girl who lived in Maine, so I guess I've been to Maine multiple times, but really only been to Maine on vacation once, and that all seems to hold up. Uh, so they head back to the teacher slash aunt's house, hoping to just kind of like chill out and process what they've seen. And Laura goes up to take a nap, and when she gets there, she sees that this confused me. Me too. I was very <laughs> confused so by this part. So if you guys can shed some light on this, what appears to be a noose in her room, but then she quickly explains that it's not a noose, it's fisherman's knots in a piece of rope that her father gave her. And then still later, it's referred to as a necklace. A necklace, right. Yeah. And I'm like, I think that was one of the things they were like trying to cliffhang the chapter. Like it was a noose, actually. Well, they not. did do that, and then it, and then she like yeah, like the next chapter she definitely like explained like no 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 this isn't a noose it's something my father gave me it's got knots in it. But then like two chapters later they still referred to it as a necklace, and it was like is this what is this what exactly are you wearing this is this just it definitely gross, says gnarly, the knots ended bro- in a hangman's noose at the <laughs> end of the chapter. <laughs> And, like, this is a plot stream that's actually, I think, a plot stream that's actually dropped because they never, she says, like, oh, it was in a box in my closet. Like, I saw it a couple weeks ago, but I haven't touched it. And, like, someone would have had to dig through my things to find it and they'd have to know where to look. But then... I can't remember now. And, like, this is just, we'll just spoil any mystery that we're actually, but it's, you know, it's Nancy Drew and it's a kid's book. Uh, the dude's fucking still alive, obviously. Um, but I feel like at one point he says, like, I guess I wasn't as good at staying away as I thought, which kind of, like, at least sort of wrapped up for me, as in, like, okay. he was supposed to, like, oh, I was supposed to go into hiding, and I didn't, because I love my daughter too much, I had to go back and, like, take see, a her go fucking crazy, <laughs> thinking that I'm still alive and torturing her, and then also breaking into the house. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I, I, need, I, need to, I need to make sure she sees me and doubts her sanity. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna gaslight my kid. <laughs> A real father's gift. <laughs> she has to learn somehow. <laughs> uh, so Nancy is like, all right, like, this is weird now. We'll investigate this shit. And when she goes outside, she sees that there are footprints uh, climbing up the trellis of the house and then disappearing out into the woods. And the prints are from a special type of fisherman's boots that fishermen Thank wear goodness. when they're... <laughs> <laughs> How would they ever have saw? They would have just given up. (laughs) That's nothing to go on. (laughs) 
so Nancy does some investigating the next day, and I don't know, she goes to the military base to meet, because the father worked at the military base, so she meets with the head of security there, who was one of his best friends and his boss, and the guy's like real cagey and doesn't really totally answer any questions they ask, and then kind of brushes them off and sends them away. As you would do to teenagers that came to ask you about military the death base, of yeah. a military man. <laughs> yeah. And then Nancy, they all, then, then they take the boat out. No, no she goes to the reporter's office. Yeah. I don't know where the other two go. I think Bess is probably like, I'd like to eat food because that's Bess's. Like, none of the people in these books have any personalities. There is Nancy, who solves mysteries. There is Bess, who is chubby and likes food and doesn't like doing any kind of physical activity. And then there's George, who has short hair and a boy's name and is athletic, so she's probably a lesbian. <laughs> and that's it. That's all anybody amounts to in these books. It's true. And uh, I was actually... So when Becca and I first lived together, um, we used to watch all of these terrible horror movies together and terrible sci-fi movies together. And as we would watch them over and over again, we started to realize that it was the same character archetypes over and over again. And we decided to start naming these character archetypes. So we were in this period where we were really into Torchwood. Um, <laughs> Quote, unquote. <laughs> we're really, really into making fun of Torchwood. <laughs> uh, which is still a thing that, you know, everyone should probably be into, because it's about as into Torchwood as you can get. <laughs> and uh, so we, we started to to name them after Torchwood characters, or Torchwood character archetypes, I guess. And one of them was the Chubbs, who is the frequently chubby sidekick of the main guy, who is the Barrowman, because that is the role that would be played by John Barrowman in any, any of these movies. You can literally <laughs> interchange him to any of these movies, because he's just there to be blustery and real sure of himself and handsome, and probably fucks things up along the way, but doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, so, so he usually, like, he would be chubby and the butt of jokes and making jokes and die tragically at the end of the second act so that Barrowman could, you know, rally and, and shake his fist at the sky and be like, no, you shark worms! <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was the Barrowman, there was the Chubbs, uh, there was the Tosh. The Tosh was, was the, the girl who was good at computers. Yep. She was always there, like, she couldn't, oh, guess, like, I guess... We kind of called it the Gwen, but it was also the hot girl. Yeah, yeah, because it was the Gwen Tosh. There was one time a Gwen Tosh. There was a Gwen Tosh. <laughs> and uh, there was actually, there was a female, a male Gwen Tosh once. That's in true. Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, where Debbie Gibson was a female Barrowman. It was amazing. It was, it was very interesting. <laughs> Look for our book coming 2018. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was uh, the Howard Dean, who was the sage older character who would, you know, give them advice about the mega sharks and the giant octopuses and the, you know, whatever the hell else they needed advice on. Whatever combined animal was torturing them <laughs> because it'd been in these waters for 40 years since I was a lad. Which isn't what Howard Dean sounds like, but whatever. <laughs> he was he was called the Howard Dean. I actually do remember this because... Oh, no. From Shark Attack from 3. From Shark Attack 3, <laughs> this character looked like Howard Vaguely. Dean. Vaguely. He, he had white hair. <laughs> no, he's not a <laughs> He was an old man with white hair, and I was That's like, pretty much all you need. That's all you need. 
Anyway. To um, be fair, actually, he looked more like John McCain, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he became the Howard Dean, that's it, that's all it was. Uh, yeah, so Chubbs, that was a thing. And yeah. uh, there, there's a Chubbs, too, in the Hardy Boys book. Their chubby friend who's obsessed with food, who is only there to talk about food. And also oh, to wear costumes. I love Chet. Chet was a chubby furry, and I loved him. Chet was my favorite. <laughs> when I, I realized when I when I picked this up that the reason I liked the Hardy Boys was because of Chet and his jalopy, which was not mentioned in this book. But he had an old, like, clunky car that was always called the jalopy. And I remember as a kid being like, what the hell is a jalopy? Except not hell, because I was living in Utah at the time. Um, so I kept track of... of Bess and Chet in both of these books and how many times food and how hungry they were <laughs> aka fat shaming was mentioned and Bess had 10 and Chet ended up with 12 even though he was hardly <laughs> even around and also the very end of the book is about yep. how if Chet cut down on his eating that would really be science fiction <laughs> Yeah, that's like the last line of the book, right? Yeah, I mean, so I think that Chet really wins the fat the shaming competition. The whole lead-up of that ending, though, is that they're like, we have to start charging for the con because someone ate too much food, and they're all like, right. Chet! Chet. <laughs> like that sitcom, hands-on hips. chips. Somebody ate too, too many, many chips. chips, and now, now they have to start charging for the con. Like, it's like, how many... How many chips are not expensive. And also, he was in those <laughs> costumes the whole time. Like, he couldn't get food. He had, like... Wings and then dog he was starving, paws. And poor guy. He couldn't even feed himself because he had costume hands. <laughs> That's my theory. So it's very impressive that he managed to eat so many chips. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just it boils down to you know that there are essentially different teenage personality <laughs> <Yep>. types. <laughs> you get your chubby friend. You get your, your food friend, <laughs> your friend who is obsessed with food, and then usually there's a friend who's obsessed with girls, but that was there was no time for that in these books, because there's only 150 pages that there's <laughs> mysteries to solve. And then, I guess, and your third one's just your mystery, your mystery-solving friend. That's it, your three friends. <laughs> <laughs> three teenage archetypes. Obsessed with food, obsessed with girls. Solving mysteries. Solving mysteries. What else is there in life? That's all I need. <laughs> So back to the plot. We'll uh, we'll you know try and wrap this up quick because like really not much happens. Uh, Nancy, <laughs> while Bess is off eating and George is uh, off shaming her for eating, uh, <laughs> Nancy breaks or goes to visit the uh, Rita Skeeter reporter, <laughs> and then follows her after she kind of like brushes Nancy off gets in her car and follows her because she's going to an appointment and sees that she's going to the naval base and then takes advantage of the fact that she's at the naval base to go back to her office and rifle through her papers. And she sees that uh, Rita Skeeter is investigating uh, the death of Laura's father and has some notes written down on Sam Beaumont, who is Uncle Sam, and uh, Bainbridge, who is her father's superior officer at the naval base who they had met with previously. So and they like to they threw in some nice like I don't even know what you would call it red herring I guess of like that other reporter who was at the newspaper who was like oh yeah she's real awful just kind of didn't didn't like the reporter woman just so you would be like oh she's bad maybe she did it <laughs> yeah yeah so there she, was nothing there other than that she's an ambitious woman <laughs> yeah there is like later on she lays out who the suspects are and it's like well you know this best friend who 
you know, has been acting shady and who knows more than he should about what happened. The naval base superior officer who's also been acting shady and who, you know, has some other connection to it. Or this reporter woman who's just real annoying. So it might be her. <laughs> she was too curious. Much like Nancy. Nancy herself is a suspect. <laughs> uh, uh, so they do some investigating. They investigate at the lighthouses um, that are over by the place where her father disappeared from. And they find out that a lot of people have been nosing around the lighthouse and talking to the lighthouse keepers about what that cove is like. And uh, they find an old naval code hidden upstairs in the attic of the aunt's house. And uh, it just so happens that that is the day that they have asked the aunt to invite both Uncle Sam and Admiral BFF over <laughs> for dinner in order to have the two suspects together and see what will happen when just they're in. the classic when I don't know what to do in my mystery. We'll just put all the suspects in a room together. Maybe it'll turn into Clue. And they find out that they have this code from Laura's father and they both are trying to get it from them. And then Sam takes off one way and Bainbridge, Admiral BFF, uh, claims that he has a meeting somewhere else and he leaves and the girls, Nancy figures out what the code means. So they rush over to the mysterious cave that they haven't previously investigated for reasons that don't really come up. And she figures out that someone is smuggling secrets off the naval base, that Laura's mm -hmm. father figured it out, that he was trying to get enough evidence to bring it to the police and figured out that the naval people from the naval base were on his tail and wanted to get rid of him. So he faked his own death with Uncle Sam uh, to lay low until it was safe to go to the police or something. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we missed the dramatic thing where uh, the, who what turns out was the naval officer Kai planted like a bomb in the motor of a boat that the girls took out right. to go investigating. Right, and right, so there's right. a dramatic boat explosion slash fire that they're all fine from. But man, it's hard out there for a teenage girl detective. It's true, it's true. Um, and then he plants more bombs once all of these revelations yes. happen. <laughs> They're in the abandoned lighthouse, because there were two lighthouses, one that worked and one that was abandoned, and the abandoned one was where Laura's father had been hiding, and he locks them all, the naval officer locks them all inside, and then puts bombs all along the outside of the lighthouse, which just seems like it is not the most subtle way to, like, hide your smuggling ring, <laughs> to blow up a lighthouse with bombs, with teenagers inside of it. Like, maybe maybe there are better ways to do this. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, we can't think of them, so I guess we can't blame him for not thinking of them. No, I, yeah, I can't think of a better way. I don't know, that's it. That seems clean. <laughs> Poisoning? I don't know. <laughs> well, they did. The, the part that, that we're not even saying, it sounds like the summary is longer than the book, but... They do a lot of, like, touristy things, and they do a lot of, like, eating, and well, things move very slowly, <laughs> considering it's 150 pages, and they're supposed to be just doing mystery They kind of, like, split their time, because it is supposed to be vacation, so it's like they spend half a day doing fun stuff, and then half a day solving they're like, the murder mystery. Oh, yeah, mystery. we should get back to that mystery <laughs> back thing. on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> but quick, let's get a lobster roll first. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so they wrap up the mystery. Laura's aunt calls the police and Admiral BFF is arrested and Laura's reunited with her father and Nancy, Bess, and George get like 12 hours of vacation left to spend on their own. <laughs> so thanks a lot. But they're now scared of boats because the last one they were on exploded. <laughs> they're scared of lighthouses because the last one they were in exploded. <laughs> so there's no lot to do in Maine. <laughs> um, can we talk about how the teacher knew that Sam couldn't have been involved because she checked on his groceries. Oh yeah, that was so smart. Why didn't she like mention that earlier? <laughs> and also, like, why didn't she? Why didn't she mention it earlier? And B, that is so weird. Like, creepy. It's, like, it's really creepy, right? Like, I get that this is supposed to be like old timey small town, but like, but like, she called the grocery store and she's like. Hey, you know uh, Sam the Lobster Man who comes in there? What's his grocery? Has he been any buying extra food? Like, is everything okay? Like, how many yogurts is he picking up? <laughs> and the woman was like, "Oh yeah, no, he's been buying exactly twice the amount of food he normally does." <laughs> Strangely, he's been he's been he's been getting your brother's favorite foods. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Like I feel like I mean, you can find out a lot of from about a person from their grocery list. They're like, Sam bought uh, those three boxes of Magnum Common condoms, <laughs> and <laughs> and he also bought a lot of Emoti Meti. <laughs> Sam's having some rough times, I think. <laughs> thanks, thanks for your help. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I can ship Sam and the dead brother. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. I thought <laughs> Sam just loves lobsters. He loves lobsters. Well, I felt like there was some sexual tension between Sam and Nancy, but that was. Just... I'm not kidding. She she like notices. Here we go. Nancy could feel the strength in his grip and the rough texture of his skin. Ooh. Right. Okay then. Well, listen, Ned's out, not on vacation with them. It's time for her to have, like, a little summer fling with yeah, a grizzled girl, old lobster man. Someone is like, don't you wish Ned was here with us? And she's like, yeah, moving on. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great, but also. <laughs> so that was Nancy Drew. Anyone have anything else to add before we move on to the Hardy Boys? Um, just that I'm really sad that the ship that went down was called the Lady Love. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It's a good ship name. It is a good ship name. <coughs> that's how, see, that's, that's how Sam and Carl diverted suspicions of their love. <laughs> we'll right? call it the Lady Love. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll think it. Wait, how is that going to make it? <laughs> of the adults, okay, of the adults, Sam was the one who loved food. <laughs> Carl, <laughs> Carl was the one who loved girls, quote, quote, and then teacher slash aunt, who was also of their kind of age, kind of, she she loved mysteries. solving mysteries. mysteries. Right. That's yeah, what okay. she knew about. We figured it out. It works. It's she just has the a next network generation. of informants. <laughs> <laughs> she knows about groceries. <laughs> Nancy, like, writes that down. She's like, I'm gonna use that sometime. That's like, a good trick. <laughs> All right, so the Hardy Boys book we read was called The Secret of Sigma 7 and takes place at a science fiction convention, which you can't call, actually, it's a science science fiction con or SF con, because if you call it sci-fi, 
people don't like that. Yeah, real mad. Yeah. Like, literally the first page of this book, they're like, wow, like, we're really excited for this science fiction convention where our new favorite movie's gonna be screaming, and this guy pops out of nowhere, and I'm actually, I'm actually so... <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's true. Is he not... Is he someone they knew? No. He just literally no. showed up and became friends guy. with them. He was just like, they were like, you look familiar. He's like, oh yeah, we have Trig together. Anyway, let me mansplain this entire thing to you. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so the the Hardy Boys, Joe and Frank Hardy, and their chubby friend Chet, their chubby furry friend Chet, their chubby friend Chet, who is like dressed up as like a space dog when we first meet them, and then later on dresses as like a space bird. So I just assumed he's a furry, <laughs> which is fine. I love Chet. Chet's my favorite. <laughs> Uh, so they're at this science fiction convention where the latest, the last installment of their favorite science fiction movie series, The Secret of Sigma 7, is going to be premiered in their, like, weird little town. Uh, and the director is going to come and he's going to give a big speech about it. And they get into the hall to watch this big speech and see the premiere of the movie. And... The woman, the only woman in this the book, the only woman in the book, only woman in this book, who oh is the head God. of the con committee, is up at the podium, like stalling everyone, and finally admits the reason she's stalling is because he's not there yet, the director, uh, and he's supposed to give a speech before the movie, and then he bursts into the room, followed by his bodyguards, his bodyguards, which do directors have bodyguards? <laughs> I don't know what cons. I know people have like wranglers where they're like, let me make sure you're at the places you're supposed to be. But do people have bodyguards at cons? Not not in my experience. No. no. I mean, there was that time I was stuck on the walkway, the skywalk with Misha Collins, and he didn't have any bodyguards. Yeah. The only people I've ever seen have bodyguards at cons are like women celebrities who are signing autographs and have had like stalker threats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, the chick who played Anya on Buffy, like, she had a bodyguard because she was, like, she had a problem. But other than that, like... Yeah, I just put this trying to picture, like, J.J. Abrams with, like, an entourage of bodyguards. (laughs) No, the bodyguards are there so that they have some kind of reason not to talk to that guy. It's like the cave (laughs) in Nancy Drew. They keep saying, like, we really should talk to that director. Huh. bad. (laughs) Uh, so Surrounded by a wall of man meat, I guess we'll have to come back <laughs> later. Uh, so the, the, he runs in with his bodyguards and he's like, there's going to be no showing because the film was stolen out of my car. My assistant left the film in the car and... You someone- should have left a bodyguard, bitch. <laughs> God. Somebody, guarding the wrong shit. <laughs> somebody stole it and I blame this con and this is a garbage con and... <laughs> Like, everyone go home. This isn't going to happen anymore. So everyone's real bummed, obviously. And the frazzled woman who's running the show is especially bummed because she's afraid no one will ever come to their con again. So Frank and Joe, Frank and Joe are like, hey, we'll investigate for you. We're detectives. And she's like, oh, yeah, like, I've heard about you two teenage boys who solve crimes. Instead of getting the police involved... I'll just have you two teenage boys and your two friends now who are following you around. Your chubby friend and your friend. Your sci-fi friend. Your science fiction friend. (laughs) Shit. Your friend who you just met off the street. (laughs) 
Yeah, so they they have she has Frank and Joe decide to uh, help figure out what happened, and while they're just starting to investigate, someone almost shoots the director with a real gun that is disguised as a fake gun, and they're like, "Oh my god! Like this is way more dangerous than we thought. Someone's trying to kill this guy." And the person who fired the bullet turns out, like, he was like, oh, somebody just handed this fake gun to me. I didn't realize it was real. He told me it would be funny if I shot it at the director. I don't know what happened. And... Like, that was that? That was, that was <laughs> it. I guess they let him go. Or maybe he's still in jail. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, no, they a- they asked him if there was anything that he could tell them about the guy. And he said that the guy was wearing a green medallion a moon on it or something? Yeah, stars and a, like a moon and a star, I think. Was that ever explained? Um, he said that he... Spoiler, it was a guy who did it. <laughs> he said that he did that so that they would only be focusing on people wearing costumes. Okay. I forgot that. Which does come up, because then, like, isn't it shortly after the elevator thing? Yeah, so while they're, they're chasing around, they're trying to come up with, like, who would steal... This, this movie, and they narrow the suspects down to one of the authors who's at the convention who claims that the idea for the movie was stolen from his book series and who had a lawsuit against the director, but the director could hire much better lawyers, so it got squashed in court. And they think maybe it might be a movie bootlegger who stole it in order to make copies to sell on the comm floor. And so there's one particular shady bootlegger who they have tracked down as a suspect. And as they're running around trying to investigate, looking for someone in a costume with this green medallion with a star and a moon, uh, at one point they're going to get into an elevator and they see someone wearing that particular medallion and don't really think anything or haven't processed that that's I, what I they're wearing I don't think we made an, a note of it, maybe, until after the incident happens? Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. And... Frank or Joe, I don't know, they're interchangeable. Goes about not having personalities. <laughs> they literally, like, I noticed that, like, when Frank and first introduced, he's kind of described as big and burly. I don't remember anything else being described about Frank either of them. Frank is dark and Joe is light. The light hair, end. yeah. That's it. They're, they have no, they don't, there isn't a funny one. There isn't a handsome one. There's just Frank and Joe. Boy detective. If you say it together, it's like Frankenstein, Frank and Joe. <laughs> uh, so they, one of them steps into an elevator without looking, and it turns out it's not an elevator. It's an empty elevator shaft, and he would have fallen to his death if his brother hadn't pulled him back in at the last second, and that they had, it processes through their head that they had seen someone wearing the medallion. The guy who had opened the elevator Opened the elevator shaft for, for them. them. And by the time they run off to see where he had gone, he's, he's gone. already gone. Enter another suspect, our new BFF Brian's uncle, who is at the con and keeps trying to talk to the director um, and keeps insisting his director invited him here and that they need to speak. But the director keeps blowing him off. And it turns out that he is a, like... Special effect, or digital CGI. 1991 (laughs) CGI animator. He's like, I can make special effects with computers, and everyone is real shocked and real impressed. fucking amazing. They're like, oh my god, that spaceship looks like a spaceship. (laughs) You did that all with a computer? How fancy. (laughs) You're like, guys, like, Jurassic Park is, like, two years away. It's gonna blow your fucking minds, and it's not CGI. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, so there's another point where they have convinced the director to sit on a panel, even though he's still really pissed that his movie was stolen. And while he's there at the panel, uh, he almost gets electrocuted. <laughs> he gets by, like, lightning that goes... There's, like, an electronic box above his seat or something, and it, like, shoots lightning down and sets the chair on fire that he had just vacated, and then... I don't know. This whole book is like this. He's yeah, garbage. so really they're is. like, oh no, you know, maybe the special effects guy, Brian's uncle is the one who's behind it. Because he, we- he knows how technology works and, like, electronic boxes. I was going to say, my favorite near death is the death by, uh, almost near death by elephant stomping. Right. Oh my god. Right. I was going to talk about the uh, the floating cars, because yeah. we missed him, too. But go ahead, let's do the... Because it literally doesn't matter what order these things happen. It's it does like... not matter. There are elephants. Joe almost gets stomped by an elephant. Because <laughs> there, there are just elephants there. For, elephants in costume. For reasons. They also want to be dressed up. Yes. <laughs> and then there's a point where they're talking to the guy who did the special effects on the missing movie... Uh, who's in a hover car. He made hover cars. That he made. And after showing it off to the brothers, as they're walking away, the hover car lurches at him and almost kills him. And they manage to get him out of the way. And suspiciously, he is not concerned by the fact that a hover car has almost killed him. And just gets up and he's like, well, I'm hungry. I'm going <laughs> really to get lunch. need to get lunch. <laughs> One of the three interests. He was not a mystery team. He's a food team. <laughs> he's a food team. <laughs> He was a food teen in his day. <laughs> uh, so they, Jesus, what else happens? They just run around a lot and almost die. And then the director is almost, or is poisoned. Poisoned, yes. yeah. Poisoned. And rush to the hospital. They think he's dead. That's a cliffhanger. But then at the beginning of the next chapter, someone yells, I'm a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Runs over and they're like, oh no, he's still alive. He's just like not breathing a lot. Oh, and we missed... The spear throwing incident. Oh right, right. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Which I like that they like they go. They're like, let's just while we're at this con, let's go experience some con, and they go well, yeah, to this it's like room. Being a tourist in Maine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they go to this room that's showing old timey movies that has like aliens, like little people, aliens throwing spears and stuff. And at one point, right when they throw a spear on screen, a real spear comes out the screen and almost kills Frank and or Joe. <laughs> and they're like, oh, this is serious shit. But then they also kind of attribute that, like, that had to have been done by Brian's uncle, because he's the one who knows technology, and it's like, no, someone threw a spear through the screen the same time it happened in the movie. There's no technology involved. There wasn't a spear machine. There were spears outside. He grabbed one, he threw it, and then someone else saw him run away. Like, And also, he knew the movie really well. Yeah, which he does well, say oh, later yeah, he on. He says that, though. He says, he says that was yeah. my favorite like, oh, movie. I watched this movie so many times, I've memorized it. I knew but right I when don't... he threw the spear. <laughs> and the best part is, like, somebody, they're all like, oh, shit, we almost got hit by a spear. And then somebody in the audience is like, hey, I can't see. And they're like, you can't, there's a hole in the screen. All the congoers felt really true to how I imagine congoers are. Yes. Like, as soon as, like, they were, like, in the beginning when the movie gets stolen, they're like, but I wanted to see this movie! Who cares that it was stolen? Just show it to me! And I'm like, that's how I imagine things go. Yeah, as someone who <laughs> goes to true, yeah. multiple science fiction and comic cons every year, that that is accurate to my experience. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It was less drinking when they were like, oh, there's there's all you can right. eat and all the soda food pop. and soda <laughs> at this party. I was like, mm. I think that's cute. <laughs> we're, we're not drinking soda at my con. <laughs> so that happened before the salad poisoning, but then when the poisoning happens, they also the special effects floaty car guy was there at the same time, and he leaves behind a remote control. Yes, and they're As you like, do. oh, yeah. They're like, what's this? Press all the buttons. I don't know. <laughs> and then don't they they later go to his tent like shortly after that? I don't think I'm missing. Well, when they they figure out eventually he did it. I can't remember why. He did it. Spoiler alert. They figure it out <laughs> by putting clues together or something and the, the reasoning is that the reason that he's been, the director was trying to talk to Brian's uncle is because he wants to stop doing real effects in his movie and start doing computer effects. <gasps> and then that guy's going to be, the special effects guy's going to be out of a job. And also, he co-created the movie well, series. And, uh, and also, at one point, the ma- they find out that the master reel in Hollywood or wherever also got stolen. Also was stolen. <laughs> And he co-created the series with the director. It was his idea, but he didn't get any credit for it. And he's mad because this is going to be the last movie in the series. And he's going to do this new series with computers instead. And da 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 da. And they, when they first found out that the master reel got stolen, one of their theories was, well, if all of the copies are stolen, they'll have to make the movie again. Which I was like, you dumb <laughs> yeah, kids. That's not how the that. world works. <laughs> but then it turns out that's exactly the reasoning. Because he's like, well, now it's stolen. They'll have to make it with me. <laughs> I'll be the director. I'll volunteer. And then we'll cut him out and I will do it. And I'm like, I don't think that's how things work. I think it's too bad, so sad. We're not giving you more money. <laughs> or give us our money back. Maybe. <laughs> So they figure out it's this guy, and they save the day by using the remote control to, because it turns out it controls the hover cars, and that's how he had made the hover car come after himself to stage his own almost death. Yeah. And then there's a low-speed hover car chase. (laughs) (laughs) Where they are chasing him in the hover car, and then they fly over a cliff into the goddamn ocean. (laughs) Just to ramp it up. Uh, so they they arrest him, and it's like case closed. And it turns out that the director is not really upset about the con. He's like, "Oh, I, I forgive you guys because it wasn't you. It was my shitty special effects guy who I fucked over." So I'm gonna premiere my next movie at your con. <laughs> Hooray! And then that is when um, the woman, the only woman who is in charge of the con drops that they're going to have to start charging because someone ate all the food in the con suite, (sighs) Chet. Chet, who is eating chips in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) And that was that book. And that was it. That was the book. (laughs) Oh, you forgot the part where the guy who makes bootleg VHS tapes gets his blank tapes from a motorcycle gang. (laughs) That's true. There's a shady woods To get his blank tapes. In, like, a copy box from the motorcycle gang. And by the end of the book, he's decided to change his ways. He's like, you're right, maybe I shouldn't get shady VHS cassettes. I'll get better (laughs) wholesale VHS. (laughs) I mean, Costco had to exist by then. (laughs) So I did also read a little bit of the clue of the broken blade, which is number 21. And there were 
other friends in that. Not to throw off your uh, characters, but there was Biff, who is described as being six feet tall. <laughs> there is Tony, who is described as being olive-skinned. <laughs> and there's Phil Cohen, who I'm hoping is Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so this is one of their like rewrites of one that was originally published. So, uh, you know, maybe they decided they needed more types. Yeah, so that brings us to... Loves food, loves girls, mystery solving, tall, Jewish, and olive skin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a different ethnicity, vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't want to come out and say, say it, no. but maybe. Maybe. Good to know. Good to know. Nice. Oh. I bet they still fall. I bet if I read that book, I'd be like, no, no. <laughs> this one likes girls. <laughs> this one likes food. <laughs> this one's interested in mysteries. And this is this is another mystery team. He's a sub-mystery team. <laughs> All right. So, anybody have any closing thoughts on the Hardy Boys before we get to our dramatic readings? I uh, I don't know what the you guys mostly read electronic, but the cover of mine from 1991 has for both Frank and Joe are like cocking their hips in a very strange way, and it looks like, and they're wearing like 90s jeans and. Um, <laughs> I think it's worth putting a screen cap of this out there <laughs> for people to analyze. Definitely. Okay. I'm trying to look at ours now, but I'm on my phone and it's very tiny. Uh, well, you're really missing out because um, Joe is embracing the director. Yep, yeah, I can kind of see that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> There's and, a slow dance thing happening. And the other, <laughs> the other problem I had was the name of the director was like, Devereaux, but it was spelled very strangely, like div and I kept wanting to make it like Devouro and I, I just <laughs> Nice. Yeah, that is that is a pretty choice cover. Uh, it will definitely be up on the website. Alright. So are we ready for some dramatic readings? Um yes. Alright. So for our first dramatic reading, we are going back to Nancy Drew. And we are going to one of the many foreshadowing bits where, while they're investigating the disappearance of Laura's father, uh, someone is warning them off the trail by destroying their property. <laughs> after, this is after the, the boat bomb? Yes, after someone tried to blow up their boat. And then... Just read it and let it happen. Yeah, we'll just we let it happen. We the mystery for you. You can get the real shock effect that we had reading this. <laughs> so, <laughs> for this reading, uh, Holly is going to be reading Miss Brayden, the aunt slash, slash teacher. Anna will be reading both Bess and George, because as we've previously said, all of the friends are pretty much one note and interchangeable. I will be reading Nancy and the narration, and Becca will be reading Laura. If my brother is alive... She said. What do you suppose he's hiding from? And why is he putting my niece and my friends in so much danger? Nancy slowed down so Bess and George could catch up. I think the answer involves Craven Cove and one of three suspects. Who? Asked Laura. You're not going to like this, Nancy said hesitantly. Miss Braden's face grew stern. Tell us anyway. We need to get to the bottom of all this. I suspect either Ms. Walters, Commander Dandridge, 
or Sam Beaumont is involved, Nancy said. And smuggling may be the motive. Couldn't you be wrong about that? Miss Braden asked. I could, Nancy replied, but I don't think so. I'd like you to help me find out which person it is. How? Laura asked. By inviting Commander Dandridge and Mr. Beaumont to lunch tomorrow, Nancy said. If I can get them talking in the same room, maybe they'll reveal something that will point to a solution. We can worry about Miss Walters later. Miss Braden and Laura were silent as they walked into the parking lot. Nancy realized that neither of them really wanted to believe that a close friend was responsible for what was happening to them. But by the time they reached Laura's car, the teacher and her niece had come to a decision. All right, said Miss Braden. I don't like being dishonest, but if you really think it'll help. It will, Miss Braden, Nancy assured her. Now all we have to do is... Suddenly, she froze, staring straight ahead. The others followed Nancy's gaze to Laura's car. There, on the windshield, someone had drawn some kind of a creature in white paint. What is that? Bess asked nervously. It looks like a bird, said George. Vandals must have done it. The girls all looked at Laura as she let out a little gasp. Her face was white and her mouth hung slack. Finally, she found her voice. It's not just any bird, she said. It's an albatross, the ancient sea symbol of doom. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) End of chapter. (laughs) Chapter 12. Yes, it's definitely an albatross, Nancy said, and put an arm around Laura to calm her. We must call the police right away, Miss Braden insisted. The person who left this may be the same one who tampered with your boat. Maybe, said Nancy, but I don't think we should call the police just yet. Someone thinks we're getting too close and wants to scare us off. As long as the person is still giving warnings, I believe we'll be safe. If the police get involved, the culprit will simply lay low until this blows over. We'll never find out what happened to Laura's father, or who's behind all of this. Miss Braden looked doubtful. I don't know what to say, Nancy. I would never forgive myself if anything happened to you. We'll be extra careful, Nancy promised. Please give me a little more time, for Laura's sake and for your brother's. All right, Miss Braden said, throwing her hands up. You always were a headstrong girl. I'll give you one more day, but any more threats and... I promise we'll be very careful, Nancy said quickly. And if things get too rough, we'll call the police. Very well. Miss Braden said. Now how about someone getting some paper towels so we can clean this awful drawing off? Yes, ma'am, Bess said cheerfully. She and George hurried back into the restaurant. The end. Notice, even just for paper towels, Bess is excited about going to the restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) How... How detailed was this drawing that it was clearly an albatross? <laughs> albatross. The ancient sea symbol of doom. I mean, if I imagine when you live in Maine and your dad is, like, a Navy slash fisherman guy, like, you just know these things. You just it know. It could be a stick figure an and be like, <gasps> it's an albatross. And also, wasn't this placed by Sam Beaumont or someone and not the actual villain? I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it, it was, I think it's similar to the noose where he's trying just trying to stop them and rather than say like we've got your dad, he's in hiding. This is a thing that's happening. We're trying to catch this other guy. They're like, "We're going to put an albatross on your car." Inter- interpret that. I can't imagine like no one noticed this happening. <laughs> like he had to be out there for a while doing this for a detailed while being like he's like holding up a drawing of an albatross and like oh, let's <laughs> doing some shading. <laughs> Stopping people on the street. Does this look? Look at say does albatross look, to you. Like that looked like a seagull to me. Oh, oh damn shit. it! <laughs> exactly. And everyone's like, "That's just fine. That's normal." <laughs> I people people pay good money to get birds drawn on their windshields. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our next dramatic reading uh, is from later in the book when Nancy has to pick a lock under duress, and Holly's going to be reading that one for us. Quickly, Nancy reached into her jacket pocket and pulled out a small black case. She opened it and moved toward the, the door and began moving a series of thin metal probes. A lock picking kit, Carl Braden said in amazement, and Nancy knows how to use it, Best said with pride. She crossed her fingers. If we've got enough time, Nancy can get us out of here. Nancy wished she was as confident as her friend. Perspiration trickled down her forehead, but her hands were steady. She wasn't sure if she could pick the lock, even if there was enough time. But she was determined to try. Slowly, she slipped one of the thin wires into the lock and moved it around. She could feel it catch on the lock mechanism, but she couldn't seem to get the lock to release. Maybe we'd better get back up to the tower, Lara suggested. At least we'll be farther away from the blast. But the tower will fall when the bombs go off, Nancy replied, still fiddling with the lock. The only place we'll be safe is out here. Nancy, Lara exclaimed. She paused for a moment as if she was listening to something. Then she said, I think the ticking is getting faster. Sam Beaumont moaned from the corner. We've got only a few minutes left. I'm sorry he got past me, Carl, Nancy heard him say. I didn't hear him until it was too late. Again, Nancy carefully twisted the probe back inside the lock. She realized she was holding her breath as she moved it slightly and pushed. Click. The tumbler slipped into place, and a second later, the door flew open. Hurry, Nancy shouted, switching on her flashlight and entering the cottage. She swept the light across the floor, looking for traps, but she didn't see any. George, Bess, and Laura hurried into the cottage behind her, followed by Carl, who was helping Sam Beaumont. Instantly, Nancy found the front door and flung it open. With Nancy leading the way, everyone raced around the base of the lighthouse. They knew they only had seconds to reach the safety of the open sea. Dun, dun, dun. I am so glad that Nancy is checking for traps. That's very smart. <laughs> I'm glad that Nancy's better at picking locks than Becca's Skyrim character is at picking locks. Listen, that was a master <laughs> lock, okay? I'm real good at them otherwise. You broke like 25 lock picks. That's how things go in Skyrim. <laughs> I'm, like, not that leveled up on this run. <laughs> Does the ticking get louder when the bomb is about to go off? I, I don't know. I always assumed that bombs didn't really tick at all, because then you would be able to find them. <laughs> like, that always seemed like, oh, in movies, bombs tick. But in real life, why would you make a bomb tick? Someone would be like, what's that ticking? Oh, it's a bomb. I don't know. I just remembered, too, once you started talking about the clicking, a thing that happened in this book writing-wise several times, and I took a screenshot of this one so I remember it. They use the same word, like, twice in a sentence, 
really awkwardly. So, like, this time, the steady chorus of clicks was steadily marking off the minutes of their destruction. Like, that happened, like, at least four or five times. And I was like, get a thesaurus or something? A little effort? Was it steady? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, I've noticed that I do that a lot when I'm writing on my first draft, and yeah. then obviously I'll no go back problem. and read. But, like, maybe they were like, well, shit, we gotta get six of these done in the next two weeks, and didn't really have time to do second drafts? I don't know. Very strange. Yeah. So we're gonna do one last dramatic reading, and it's going to be from the Hardy Boys book. And for this one, I will be reading the part of Brian, their new BFF. Becca will be reading the part of Joe, they're one of the brothers, Frank slash Joe. <laughs> uh, Anna will be reading the role of Frank, and Holly will be reading the narration. Hi, guys. Brian said with a grin. Nice to meet you. You just get here? Yeah. Joe said. We're still trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe you can show us around. This is our first sci-fi convention. Brian winced. Well, for starters, you'd better not refer to it as sci-fi. Science fiction fans hate that term. We prefer to call it SF, or just plain science fiction. And a convention is called a con. Uh, sorry. Joe said. Guess I've got a lot to learn about sci-fi, or science fiction. What do people do at a science fiction convention? I mean, con. Anyway. Frank asked. He pulled a booklet out of his pocket and showed it to Brian. I looked at this program we got when we registered, but I can't figure out some of this stuff. It mentions a con party in a huckster room and something called filk singing. Brian chuckled. Mostly the con is a chance for science fiction fans, and in a few cases, people who write SF books, to get together and have a good time. All right. Joe exclaimed. Sounds like my kind of place. There must be more to it than that, right? Frank asked. According to the program, there are scheduled events. Brian nodded. There'll be panels tomorrow and Sunday in the auditorium where SF writers and experts will talk about science fiction. He patted the envelope he was carrying. And if you're a collector of science fiction memorabilia like I am, you can pick up some great posters and old movies and back issues of SF magazines. We're not really collectors, Joe said. Of course, Ryan went on. There's the film tonight. Yeah, Joe said, his face brightening. The Secret of Sigma-7. The three of us have seen the first four films in the Galactic Saga series. We can't wait to see the new one. It's not every day that a major motion picture has its premiere in Bayport, Frank added. We heard that the director, Simon Devereaux, will be here in person to introduce it and that he's giving a talk on his films. Thanks, Brian, for mansplaining. <laughs> Brian, about... I, like, I like thinking of him as a collection of science fiction memorabilia. <laughs> <laughs> is he just science fiction memorabilia in a trench coat? <laughs> Basically, that is what he is. I could not get over the term huckster room yes <laughs> what i mean i what? wasn't that old in 1991 but i don't remember us using the word huckster very frequently <laughs> yeah i mean is this like a super old term like i can't <laughs> I, I i think i googled it and 
And there's a mention of it at the Boscone 51 website, Huckster's Room. So maybe we're just not old enough or cool enough. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. I probably definitely fall in one of those categories. All right, so that was a little bit of these books. Now you don't have to read them. I mean, you really didn't have to read them to begin with. That's what we're here for. And uh, now we're going to move on to Would You Rather. So to start off, real simple, would you rather have Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys solve a mystery for you? I would rather have Nancy Drew, because it seemed more like she, like, had some initiative and got shit done, whereas I feel like the boys just happened to conveniently be in the right place all the time, and were just like, oh, okay, oh, okay, yeah, sure, yeah, that means this, whereas, like, she 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 looked some shit up in books sometimes. She used microfilm. She did. <laughs> that was the one impression I had when I was reading these books. I read the Hardy Boys one first, because I had never read a Hardy Boys one. And I was just real impressed with all the danger and all the near-death experiences and was like, this is probably a boy thing, and I bet Nancy spends a lot of time in the library. And she did have her fair share of danger. I was surprised. I was like, okay. But also, she did read a lot of books and a lot of microfilm. Yeah, I would definitely rather have Nancy. I would rather see her in action. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I would also agree with that. I really was not impressed by the Hardy Boys or, you know, the Hardy Boy. I really, they were just, they were so interchangeable. The Hardy conglomeration. (laughs) (laughs) But Chet can come. Chet can date best because two chubs together, what could be better? Right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like when, um, when Duty and Frenchie get together in Greece. You know, they're just like, oh, man, perfect. to my okay keep it profile now <laughs> two jokes together look me better <laughs> all right next up would you rather be the sidekick who's constantly imperiled but saved at the last moment or the sidekick who's the butt of every fat joke i think i'd rather be the sidekick who's constantly imperiled but saved at the last moment because Maybe someday there would be an episode like on Buffy where the sidekick who's constantly imperiled gets to be at the middle of the uh, mystery and do the cool stuff. Right, right. I mean, I know my place in life. I would be the butt of every fat joke. (laughs) Like, I can't escape that. (laughs) But also, I don't really want to be constantly in peril. This sounds scary. I, 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 I'll be with Bess eating some lobster rolls, getting some fried clams. <laughs> I think I'd also choose to be the sidekick who's the butt of every fat joke for similar reasons. I mean, imperiled sounds, you know, if you're saved every time, it sounds okay. But, like, I'm pretty comfortable in my role of being the butt of every fat joke as it is, so. I got anxiety, man. You can't do that to me. Like, I can't. <laughs> Be almost dying once a week. Yeah, I think I would rather be the butt of every fat joke. I think, yeah, I think that I would just be like, and also, like, I would hate, like, I don't know, like, a fat joke is easy. You're just like, okay, yeah, but like, the, I just feel like you'd sort of be like, the one who's constantly in peril, it's like, oh, fucking Holly again. (laughs) Why do we bring her along? She just ends up in these precarious situations. That is also true. That is a good point. All right. Last would you rather. (laughs) 
This is a, a throwback to our Babysitter's Club episode, but would you rather have Nancy Drew as the teenage captain of your sinking boat or have Dawn and Claudia from the Babysitter's Club? I would definitely rather have Nancy Drew because yeah. she brought George and Bess along, not <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Newton, the four-year-old. <laughs> and so George and Bess were like, let me get the fire extinguisher. <laughs> and Jamie Newton was like, let me get pneumonia. <laughs> Just based on entourage alone, <laughs> I'm going to go with Nancy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Nancy also because my sinking boat would be called the Lady Love and she would be my captain. Yes! <laughs> and I would rely on her to save me as the constantly imperiled sidekick. <laughs> so through all these, all these would-you-rathers, you've really just woven yourself a rich fan fiction, a rich self-insert fan fiction. <laughs> Yes, I have. And I'll get to that in in Reader's Advisory. Here for it. (laughs) I think I'm really torn because I feel like while Nancy was very quick to figure everything out, I don't know that she'd be quite as good in like the long term how to collect water and how to collect food. And like, I don't know that her mystery solving necessarily goes on to, like, how to catch and cook food. I'd be skeptical of that. But, you know, if she's there, we might not end up stranded on an island in the first place. So I think I'm going to go with Nancy. (laughs) Sorry, babysitters. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I'll also say Nancy, but I don't really have anything to add. (laughs) (laughs) That's acceptable. No, that makes more sense. (laughs) Yeah. She's older, you know, she's, she has her, she has her, oh, she, they made a point to, she, that she had her little license, you know, she like took out her license and like showed the guy who rented them the boat, the license. She's, you know, she's official. I don't think that Don and Claudia have a boating license. No, no, they don't. (laughs) All right. Good. Would you rather? Uh, (laughs) Now let's move on to reader's advisory where we, will recommend some things to read instead of or in addition to these books. Uh, so to start off, uh, you know, like I said, Boxcar Children read a lot of those. If you like Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys and you somehow haven't read Boxcar Children, they're basically the same thing, but with an adorable family of children who have personalities. I mean, they don't have, like, real in-depth personalities, but they definitely have, like... You know, the older brother and father type, the older sister and, like, maternal type, the spunky middle sister and the little scamp younger brother. But they are, they do have specific... They got something. They got something. They got that one note at least. Yes. Violet's name is Violet and she loves purple things. It's funny. Uh, let's see, what else? Basically any crime procedural. I also love crime procedurals. I know Becca was talking about watching mysteries on television. Uh, Murder, She Wrote in particular came to mind because all of uh, the, well, many of the Murder, She Wrote episodes take place in a tiny town in Maine called Cabot Cove. Uh, some of them also take place in New York. That's a whole other thing, but Cabot Cove, home base, a lot of murders happening in this little town. Like, a lot of them. So maybe it wasn't so weird that Nancy would go on vacation here. Uh, any of the Law and Orders, 
Criminal Minds is a good one that's, you know, nice and repetitive, but the characters have a little meat to them. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries is really good. So any of that stuff. So if you're reading Nancy Drew and you wish that it were a lesbian parody instead, <laughs> there are actually. a few books um, called Nancy Clue Mysteries by Mabel Maney. Um, one is called The Case of the Not-So-Nice Nurse, and that's when, I think, when Nancy and a nurse called Cherry Aimless uh, get together. And then there's uh, Nancy Clue and the Hardly Boys in <laughs> A Ghost in the Closet. <laughs> Why am I not reading these right now? Which are, these are real books that we picked up at the Northampton Library. <laughs> so uh, they're not even fan fiction, or they were fan fiction that actually got published on paper in the 90s sometime, I guess. Um, let's see what else. Uh, the comic Alias, which was turned into the Netflix series Jessica Jones. That's more mystery solving for you. I have, um, so I have a, a list, like, um, I mentioned reading the three investigators, which they somehow tried to tie to Alfred Hitchcock. Um, but they were these three boys and they are a little bit younger than, they're like 13, 14 year old. And... I liked, I think I remember liking them more than Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys because they like had a secret base in a junkyard that was like had exits and entrances and um, they were just a little bit more up my alley, I guess. Um, but I think that um, definitely reading Lumberjanes in terms of like weird mysteries or um, there's a book called The Green Glass House. Um, which has a boy and a girl teaming up to solve a cool mystery. That would That's definitely a recommendation. Um, we watched an episode of the Hardy Boys TV show from the 90s, I think. It was really terrible. I don't recommend it. Unless <laughs> you're looking for something to mock, because that would it would really work. I mean, I feel like... The opening credits I could do myself and <laughs> do a better job. And the um, episode involved a mystery that was solved, but then an actual villain, like, handshaking with the guy who'd been running away from him for the last 30 years. So it was very strange. <laughs> but it's available on Hoopla if your library subscribes. Our library does subscribe to Hoopla. There you go. So you watched the terrible Hardy Boys TV show. I was looking for like ebook copies, and and it came up with that for me. Um, there is a book called Girl Sleuth: Nancy Drew and the Women Who Created Her by Melanie Rayhack, and which has been on my list of things to read just because I'm curious about you know like how this series and the Hardy Boys series were like the James Patterson kind of thing, where like one guy just wrote down a bunch of ideas, and then all these other authors sort of like wrote them. And they they came out under one unified name, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try that one. Interesting. All right. Uh, unless you guys have anything else to add. Yeah. I so I think it was Becca. You had mentioned Trixie Belden. Was it? I think no. it was you. That was oh, me. That was you. Oh, sorry, sorry. Somebody mentioned Trixie Belden. I Trixie Belden books were my jam. Like, I loved those way more than I loved Nancy Drew. 
And so, I mean, they're like, you know, they're middle grade books, but like, whatever, like I read middle grade books sometimes, why not? Um, And then the other things that I was really, really into, but they were more like supernatural were the John Belair's books. Oh yeah, I love those. Yeah, oh, those are so good. He wrote Curse of the Blue Figurine and like A House with the Clock and Its Falls. Speaking of ticking. Speaking of ticking, yes. Um, And that was about, like it was a bunch of kind of mini series about, they were all like different little boys um, but they just felt kind of really universal um, and they had to solve mysteries. And then, you know, I mean, if you're looking for TV, Veronica Mars. Oh, oh yeah. Good one. yeah. And now though, and now there's a series of, of, you know, paperback crime books. There's two of them so far. I think I've read them both on the beach at different times and they're stupid and fun. Like they're just like complete, like read it once, throw it on your bookshelf forget that you ever read it but like they're really they're a good time i will give out just because uh we missed the chance to do it on the goosebumps fear street episode because we watched stranger things in the period after we recorded and then while i was editing so i think we put it in the notes in the reader's advisory on the website but we didn't get a shout out to it but i wanted to do it now because it also kind of has that tropey teenager like everyone's a stereotype but kind of overcomes it in a way I, d- I thought about them a lot, like when we were talking about our, our trio of, of, of one note characters here. And it was mm-hmm. so, so good. You should watch Stranger Things. It's on Netflix. It's amazing. Yeah, I definitely endorse that one too. All right. We'll have these and some more things up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And uh, you can go over there and check them out. Next up is our candy pairing, where much like a restaurant might recommend a fine wine to go with your meal, we will recommend a candy to go with this book. Uh, So to start off, my candy pairing for Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys is Old Timey Penny Candy, which was popular back in the day, but maybe didn't age as well as you'd like. I have a Three Musketeers bar, because it's just kind of unsatisfying fluff. For the Hardy Boys, I have Twix, because there are two of them, but you can't tell them apart. Which is excellent, by the way. <laughs> and um, for Nancy Drew, I have Bitto Honey, because it's retro, and she has blonde slash slightly reddish hair. <laughs> um, I did Dot Candy, uh, you know, the ones that like come on paper. Um, there's a lot of them. They're bland, and you think you should enjoy them because your grandma gave them to you. Excellent. All right. And it's now time to move on to our favorite game, or at least a variation on it. Uh, I just like to keep things lively while I'm here, you know? Not everyone likes Wolverine, so I just wanted to mix it up out there for everyone. So today, we are not playing Rock, Paper, Snicked. We are not playing Rock, Paper, Leap. We are not playing Rock, Paper, Swanson. We are instead playing Rock, Paper, Psych where I will uh, describe what Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he was in this book, and Becca will describe uh, what this book would be like if it was an episode of the television show Psych. (laughs) And Anna and Holly will decide uh, which one of these wins, or they can choose paper, which would be to keep the book as it is. Uh, We're doing the Nancy Drew book. And you two don't have to come to a consensus. You can each vote for something different if you'd like. So, I will start off. Uh, If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be taking a nice relaxing vacation in Maine, 
when he would overhear that Nancy and her friends are investigating the mysterious death of Laura's father. He feels really badly about Laura's loss, and he goes over to express it to her, but notices that Sam Beaumont is giving the girls a really dirty look from the sidelines, and he can't help but wonder if Sam isn't up to something. So he trails Sam around for a few hours to make sure that he's not going to do anything to the girls, and it doesn't take him long to notice that Sam is hanging around Craven Cove and sending messages to the abandoned lighthouse. He investigates and discovers Laura's father, eventually easing him into explaining the whole thing. The Rock calls the police, which apparently no one had thought to do before this point, and they take Dangeridge into custody and break open the spy, secret, military smuggling ring, and Laura is reunited with her father, and Nancy, Bess, and George get to actually enjoy at least a full day of their vacation. If Sean and Gus were in this book, Nancy and friends would stumble upon them when they first visit the cove. Sean and Gus aren't looking for any mystery. They're trying to catch a Dragonite in Pokemon Go. (laughs) (laughs) When Laura starts running in the cave screaming about her father, Sean and Gus offer to help, but Nancy insists that they're fine because she's not one to tell strange men her friend's secrets. However... When the girls head to the diner for hot cocoa, Sean and Gus are already there, surrounded by more lobster rolls than two grown men can possibly eat, which they are both currently ignoring because the diner is a Pokestop, and when (laughs) Gus went to the bathroom, Sean took his phone and said a lure. (laughs) While catching nothing but rattatas and pidgeys, the lure knows Sean, it knows it was stolen, and no good can come of that. (laughs) The boys overhear Lara's story. Gus's super sniffer detects that it is in fact soot that Nancy got all over her clothes when she stumbled in the cove, and then that's messed up. (laughs) Sean is already starting to piece things together and is ready to offer his services when Gus stops him. Gus shows Sean his phone. There is a Snorlax somewhere nearby. (laughs) On the second thought, that Nancy seems to really have a handle on things. I bet they'll be fine, Sean says, already grabbing his jacket. Gus is nodding and sliding out of the seat, three lobster rolls precariously balanced in his non-phone hand. They race out the doors, never to be seen by the girls again. (laughs) Nancy Nancy still solves the mystery, and everyone gets the same happy ending with a few fiery, explodey hiccups along the way for flavor, but at least there were some interesting side characters, and Bess wasn't the only one who gave a shit about delicious seafood. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I felt sick. Are you sure I can't choose Wolverine? (laughs) Oh, shit! That's some fighting words. I'd choose Wolverine. (laughs) Wolverine would just be in the cove drinking. That's it. That's all he did. That would be his sadness cave. The cave would be his sadness cave. Who else do you think is in the cave? (laughs) I guess guess you can choose Wolverine. I don't think you can. Snorlax, so that's important. Snorlax is so important. And, like, <laughs> Nancy's 18, and she's figured this out already. She's got it. It's fine. They don't They don't need help. They don't need help. It's true. They don't need help. She did just fine on her own. <laughs> All right. It was a good, that was a good round of Rock, Paper, Psych. <laughs> <laughs> we will return to your regularly scheduled Rock, Paper, Snicked programming next episode. <laughs> And now we'll move on to the moral of the story. Uh, My moral of the story is when someone's life is on the line, the only people you can trust to solve the mystery are unsupervised teenagers. 
my moral of the story is if you only have 150 pages to solve a mystery, there's no time for anything else. And mine is if you follow enough people around, you can solve any mystery. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, I think that the moral of the story is that any adult is probably lying to you at any given moment. That's probably true. That's (laughs) solid. (laughs) Not wrong. Nope. All right. Good morals, everyone. Uh, so next up is what would normally be Duarte's corner, but as Duarte is also off in his own little feline sadness cave, instead, (laughs) we are going to turn the mic over to our son slash roommate, Clopper Hodge. (laughs) Uh, Clopper Hodge is a shark, and he has a lot of opinions about this book. You're right, Clapper Hodge. I really do think that more sharks probably should have been involved and did take place in the ocean. Uh, and there really were a lot of places for sharks to be in there. And I understand why you're disappointed that they weren't there. I can't believe no one cosplayed as Jaws at the convention or the con, as it were. I know, especially given how far that Jaws cosplay went in uh, the Coolidge Corner Halloween costume last year. Like, they're missing some really good chances to win some costume contests. Yeah, that guy could have totally at least lost a leg when he uh, got his hovercraft rammed into in the ocean. That's true. There was that that end of the ocean, too. I forgot. Yeah, that's good. You're very observant, Clapper Hodge. All right. Well, thank you so much for all of your thoughts. <laughs> I just appreciate that Kate is actually looking back over her shoulder at where Clopper Hodge is sitting, like he chimed in. <laughs> Realism is very important it's, when you're talking so to important. sharks. <laughs> and uh, now we will check in on Renata in her sadness cave. Uh, Renata, what is up with you out in the woods? Hey guys, it's me. Uh, You're not going to believe what just happened. I was here in my sadness cave and Nancy Drew's friend Bess came in and she was like, hey, uh, working on the mystery and the haunted, whatever. Do you have any clues in this cave by any chance? And I was like, "Uh, no, I don't think so, but you can look around if you want. She was like, honestly, I don't really care about this mystery. Do you want to go get milkshakes? And I was like, hell yes, I do. So I've actually, I'm, I'm on my way out of the cave now, going to get milkshakes with Bess. Uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess I might be back up to reading some more shitty books soon. Uh, talk to you later, bye! Well, thanks so much for that update, and we're really excited to have you back next episode. So Yay. finish up your vacation, I hope no more bugs attack you. Yeah. I want to read some books that I meant to read all summer, but was too busy reading these books. So, get back. (laughs) I'm doing two person's jobs on this podcast. I'm tired of it. (laughs) All right. Does anyone have any closing thoughts? I don't think I missed anything by not reading these books. I feel like um, I'm glad that I read the Hardy Boys as well as Nancy Drew. But sometimes maybe you shouldn't go back and revisit your childhood favorites (laughs) if you want them to still be favorites. (laughs) I think that's really the moral of flashback summer. Yeah. (laughs) I would like to add a reader's advisory for the 
Hardy Boys, which is Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, because oh, they are yeah, also interchangeable. Awesome. <laughs> just one has a Plus slightly they had different a great color. Theme song. I kept singing that theme song all week, and I couldn't figure out why. And now I think I just put my finger on it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> or like Supernatural. Supernatural counts as another reader's advisory yes, for the Hardy definitely. Boys. When we were watching the terrible Hardy Boys TV episode, I was like, oh, Supernatural. <laughs> it's true. That is true. I should have missed- And one of them is tall and has yep. brown hair. And the other <laughs> one is shorter and it's blonde. <laughs> those are either those are backup personality traits to likes food, likes girls. <laughs> Likes mysteries is tall and dark hair, short and light hair. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, as always, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. You can join our Goodreads group, which is called Worst Bestsellers. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you do, please remember to rate and review us. Uh, it pops us up in the charts, and it makes it easier for new listeners to find us. If you don't rate and review us, we'll be forced to sort you into one of the three categories of <laughs> likes girls, likes food, or likes mysteries. <laughs> you can follow us as a podcast on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. You can follow me on Twitter at Gin Enthusiastic, Gin like the alcoholic beverage, enthusiastic like you're enthusiastic about it. I'm locked, but if I see that you're following Kate or Renata or the podcast, or if you just say, hey, yo, I'm following you because of the podcast, then we're probably good. Also, I wanted to add, you can um, add me on Goodreads, because I do use that frequently. I'm in the worst bestseller group. I have, it's also enthusiastic. And since I'm like saying goodbye to the podcast, like I love seeing what other people are reading. So you could totally add me there. That'd be cool. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Helga Grace, or you can follow the Bellwether Friends podcast. I will spell it <laughs> B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-E-R. And then we didn't have room for all friends. So F-R-N-D-S. You should definitely follow the podcast and listen to it. It is great. Thank you. And you can follow me on Twitter at hey underscore friend. All right. We will be back in two weeks with Angels Watching Over Me by Lurleen McDaniels. And Renata will be back as well. Anna, Ooh. Holly, thank you so much for joining us. We had a great time. Thanks thank for you having so us. Much having All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Side note, I know DashCon already happened, but I would like to go to a garbage con. <laughs> garbage con sounds like my kind of con. <laughs>